This week, the Turfgrass Hotline, brought to you by Dryject and Telegro and the Plant Food Company, is back on day 11, tracking Ken Benoit on his Connect the Protect Tour, a 3,000-mile bike journey you can track at ecoturfconsulting.com. It highlights the great environmental stewardship work going on on golf courses across the U.S. in the form of best management practices. Last week, I chatted with Ken as he was heading into Ohio, and there he visited Muirfield Village Golf Club, then into Indiana and Brickyard Crossing, heading to Mount Hawley and Finkbine Golf Club in Iowa City, and my old pal from Beth Page days, Tim the Goose Grabber. Ken's journey has already filled several blog posts and videos from BMPCC to people he's met, road rage he's experienced, and as he will tell us, a bike journey like this is a real pain in the ass and his Achilles. We recorded this interview on Monday, August 24th, 2020. How many miles total uh, under your belt? Where are you now? Yeah, so I am in St. Joseph, Illinois. I broke the Illinois border yesterday. I think it's about 30 miles into Illinois. Looks like you're just east of Champaign. That's exactly right. How many miles have you ridden total, right? You've been out on the road nine days. Have you done a thousand miles? Uh, Just about. I'm at uh, 945. Oh boy. I've done uh, about 43,000 feet of elevation gain and my average speed. Even out in the old flatlands of the Midwest. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing that when you're pulling 40 pounds behind you, even the slightest bump, even an overpass <laughs> is uh, sometimes a little bit of a challenge if that comes at the end of the ride, for sure. You know, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the biking stuff. Yeah. You shot some video running down, riding down a hill going 40 miles an hour. And <laughs> yeah. bless you, that didn't go viral with you crashing and going head over heels. Right. So what is it like to be going at that speed with 40 pounds on your back? I guess it would be like you know, somebody 40 pounds heavier than you riding on the bike, but is the weight a little unstable too sometimes? Yeah, you know, I was surprised. I had done some downhills prior to going that speed with this weight on and knew that there was some pretty good stability there. And so I wasn't too nervous about it. Uh, In fact, I I enjoy downhills and I've pushed near 60 miles an hour on downhills uh, on my road bike, uh, which is a lot different situation than this thing but i'm shocked at how stable this thing goes down the hill there's no wobble it's a tank okay this is a different bike than of course it is i should have known this you know in your picture on your strava account is when you probably were riding in one of your races in france yeah that's a racing bike what kind of a bike are you in right now i'm riding a gravel bike so trek has this gravel bike called a checkpoint and it happens to have uh, rack mounts. There's uh, some definite comfort advantages to riding a gravel bike versus a road bike. My road bike is super racy. It's uncomfortable. It's like a Ferrari. You can jump in a Ferrari and there's nothing comfortable about that, but boy, it goes fast, right? This is more like a Cadillac. So you jump in and it's about more about comfort. I can put wider tires on it. The wired tires alone make it more comfortable. And the geometry is set so that I'm a little more upright. I don't have to lean over. Aerodynamics is not necessarily super critical on this because I'm not really shooting for speed. Now, when I get into the Midwest plains, I think aerodynamics is going to be pretty important because the wind is going to be hitting me in the face. But what I've developed is a wave to lean down and use my forearms on my bars and feel pretty comfortable that I'm not going to tip over and pedal 
you know, arrow position. And I've been able to do that now for long stretches, which has helped uh, relieve some pain in my wrists because I'm not using them to support myself. And it allows me to shift around in the saddle a little bit as well to move the uh, pressure points. That's been a big development for me, that and the ability to stand uh, while pedaling. Without that, I'm not sure my rear end would have made it this far. It's so funny to listen, right? Because I know you prepared and I know you well enough to yeah. know you you prepare yourself to the nth degree. Yeah. It isn't until you get out there a thousand miles, 500 miles into it. It's like, oh, I wasn't really thinking about this. I got to rest my wrists a little bit or I got to do this. Yeah. Or Well, it's probably we were prepared for being able to put your forearms down. Yeah you know, the adaptations you're having to make yeah. because you got a thousand miles in the saddle. Yeah, exactly. It's, I'm now in a place I've never been. <laughs> and I, and I don't <laughs> think I could have ever put myself in this place prior to this. I had to go out and do what I'm doing to get to this point. So yeah, it's interesting to learn and, and adapt. And you know, aren't superintendents great at adapting? We solve problems. So that's essentially what I'm doing out here on the road. Well, and, and what a great transition. Thank you for doing that to the Big reason you're one of the big reasons you're going out there, uh, the Connect to Protect Tour. Uh, last time we checked, you were looking for a place in Ohio. I understand you made it to a pretty nice joint that's probably in the middle of being torn up at some level, yeah. like it like it oftentimes is. How was your visit to Muirfield and Chad Marks operation? Oh, Frank, it was unbelievable from a lot of perspectives. First of all, the construction project they got going on there is complete and total. I mean, there's not an inch of that golf course that isn't being affected by this construction project. Converting fairways to bent grass, redoing their greens, they're smoking out their rough. So they haven't watered the rough out there since the tournament. And what they're trying to do is develop uh, desirable species in their rough, species that can handle low water situations. Excellent. They've had two rain events, two rain events since the tournament, which I think was seven weeks ago now at this point. Yeah. So, so that must have been just spectacular to be on property and see it at a time when not a lot of people are ever going to see it like this. And best I can tell, Chad and his crew at Labar uh, have to get that place buttoned up and ready to play for next year, 2021. They're not taking a year off, are they? They're not taking a year off. Their mission is to look, in Memorial Day, look like they did uh, just this past tournament. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Okay. So water use there, drying out the rough, looking forward to using less water. And then I believe you uh, made your way to Indiana and something cool happened there. Yeah. Yeah. On my way through Indiana, I stumbled upon Brickyard Crossing, <laughs> which is an amazing place. Pete Dye Golf Course. There are golf holes in the middle of the infield. It's amazing. And you don't realize how big that place is, first of all, until you're there. Yeah. I mean, it's a two and a half mile loop. So, so that's a big infield. And the expanse of it, they can fit, I think they can fit 400,000 fans uh, at that place. Yeah. It's a massive operation and a really, really excellent golf course superintendent there at Brickyard Crossing. Yeah. Uh, what's going on there that was interesting to you beyond the fact that it's just a fascinating place and a well-run golf course? Yeah, well, you know, they're dabbling now with using clipping yield. Uh, excellent. 
monitoring that and looking at their nutrients. That's exactly right. And so I was excited about that. And they, you know, they're using the Smith Kearns model. So they're, they're really on our industry's cutting edge on trying to determine, uh, you know, how and when to put down their products. Well, one of the things you and I know from developing the BMPs that's really important is to enhance the precision whenever we're putting an application out, whether it's pesticides, water, or nutrients. And so in, in this case, it sounds like they're trying to dial in their nutrient management program, particularly nitrogen better, and also uh, dial in their pesticide program. And of course, in that part of the country, you know, you can be six, seven months of disease pressure. So it's uh really admirable that that they're working on that. Yeah, and they they said it's new. This is only their second season using this program. So they don't have a lot of data yet, but uh, they have seen a reduction already in chemical use, pesticide and, and fertilizer use. You know, it's hard to pinpoint because it's so new, whether that's because of the seasonal weather pattern that they've had or that that's going to be the long-term trend. Of course, we know that'll be the long-term trend. Well, being more data-driven is definitely the trend, and you're, you're going to see that whether it's uh, Jim Pavanetti measuring how little chemical he has to use for the pond, or it's Bob and, and water management, yeah. or it's nutrients or pesticides. I don't think there's any question that we're going to be more data-driven. And so with that in mind, where are you heading today in the great state of Illinois? Ah, Today, I'm heading to Peoria Heights with Nate Jordan at Mount Holly, uh, and he's super excited to have me there, and, and I'm excited to be there. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a hot day today. It's going to be in the mid-90s, so it'll be an interesting ride up to Mount Holly. All right, so let's wrap up with uh, how's it going for you personally? How's the geriatric body holding up <laughs> and burning off the carbon? Let's get to the body first, then we'll talk about the mind. Great. Well, the body's showing some of its geriatric tendencies. I've got a few niggles here and there. I don't think you do this much sustained riding without some level of you know ache and pain here and there typical neck pain shoulder pain a little bit as as i get to the end of a ride wrist pain and uh, rear end pain so i've i'm working my way through uh, my posterior pain issues got some hydrocortisone that seems to be helping and i think that's on the run time will tell i'll let you know next time we speak so riding is a literal pain in the ass. It, it is a literal pain in the ass. Absolutely. And so now is just about anything I do. <laughs> the more concerning flare-up that I've had is my right Achilles tendon started barking at me last Wednesday, about 50 miles into a 120-mile ride. I've been icing it, and it's swollen, but I've adjusted my riding style, my pedal technique to try to compensate for that. I don't want to overcompensate and create another injury, mm -hmm. but uh, I seem to be having some success at that. And thankfully, I'm now in the flatland, so I don't have to stand. I think the pain was brought on by all the standing I did coming out of the uh, Northeast. Yeah, because you've done a fair amount of uh, elevation rise as you've done that. So listen, we're hoping you're able to sort of hold it together. And let me, let me ask you, are you able, if you need to, to take a few extra rest days or do you have to really keep on this tight schedule? Do you have a little bit of flexibility and in, in resting a little bit if you need to? If the body says rest, 
the body's king. The body's going to make out the schedule. And my ultimate goal is to get to the Pacific Ocean. And I'm not going to let anything get in the way of that. And if if that means I need to take a few days and rest my Achilles uh, so I don't risk the rest of my trip, then I'll make that uh, executive decision uh, on the road for sure. No hesitation. Okay. So the body is uh, showing the wear. Uh, how about the mind and the soul? It wasn't such a soulful experience in Zanesville. <laughs> let's hear about the. Let's hear about how it's going for the mind and the soul. Yeah. So coming out of Pennsylvania, Frank, I felt really positive. I'd run into a lot of people, talk to a lot of people, not on a super in-depth level, but just in general about the country and where we're at. And everybody seemed to agree that we need to come together and work together and help our fellow citizen when they're in need and feeling really good. And then I got into Ohio and I'm just going to be honest, it seemed to change. Uh, My conversations with people didn't go like I was hoping. And that divide that was portrayed in the media before I left on this tour, I think it's real, Frank. I, I don't think it's being made up. No, it's not being made up. We, we are definitely a divided country. And there's one message coming from one side and one message coming from the other side. And there seems to be great interest in, in just making sure we remain divided uh, on some level. And I think there are many people that have heard that narrative and, and embrace it fully. Were there specific instances beyond people yelling at you on <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I had a conversation two days ago with a guy in Indiana outside of CVS. And the, the conversation started innocently enough, as most of them do. Hey, uh, you must be traveling a long way with all that gear. I said, yeah, I'm heading to Oregon. And then that generally leads to a long conversation. So we started talking. I told him what I was doing and that part of my trip is to regain my faith in America. And he and I started talking in depth and he said, yeah, it's not great right now. And so his angle was that people are taking advantage of the government by being on unemployment, that there's no incentive for them to go work if they're on unemployment? And is it an interesting that two weeks after they get off unemployment, everybody gets a job? Uh, and so that most people who are on unemployment are lazy. There's lots of ways to look at it. I, I know for people like us who work on a golf course, the value of work. I mean, we're up early, working hard. And I have heard this across the golf industry in the Northeast, yeah. and many, even longtime employees are willing to stay home and get paid, whether they're concerned about the virus or right now that it's good. And yeah, that itself is a divisive issue when it feels like uh, people are taking advantage. But people have been taking advantage of systems forever. This is just the the new version of it. And it's not unique to these sorts of things. But it is interesting. What do you do? Just walk up to somebody and say, hey, or does he say, where are you heading? He says, where are you heading? So just starts organically. and And then I want to dig in and see what people are thinking. So I I steer the conversation to those kinds of topics to see what they say. So I don't want to wrap up on a sour note. You made a joke of it. Mm -hmm. But uh, was there something else unique about Ohio with the way they seem to feel about bikers? Well, are you referring to the Zanesville? Yes, I am. (laughs) So it was really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm just a guy on a bike trying to get to Oregon. Uh, I'm obeying traffic laws. I'm not running stop signs. I'm not running traffic lights. I'm not 
the middle of the lane. I'm as far right in the lane as I can be and still be safe. So within, within five minutes, two different cars went by and yelled at me to get on sidewalk. And it just stunned me that somebody would say, get on the sidewalk. Like one, I don't have a legal right to be where I'm at, which I do. And two, that that would be a safer option for anybody but them. (laughs) You know, can you imagine somebody pushing a stroller (laughs) and this big wide bike going 15 miles an hour coming at them? Too wide. They'd have to get off into the grass for me to get by them. Uh, It's a ridiculous notion. Does it make you wonder, is it something more than you just being on the road? Do you think seeing you out there symbolizes something for these people? I think it could, Frank, though it may be that, you know, the person is just so dumb they don't understand that bikes have the right to be on the road. But uh, but maybe, maybe they look at me and like, you know, what right does he have to be out there riding around and, and having fun? Yeah. Could be. Sounds like it's been a journey of a collection of fun, uh, pain, hope, and uh, disappointment. And, and I'm looking forward to us connecting again in a few days. And I believe you'll make your way through Illinois today and tomorrow. And how long until you break into the, are you heading into Iowa or Nebraska? Or where's next after you're done with the great state of hey, Illinois? Hey, I'll be in Iowa Tuesday afternoon. Excellent. Yeah. All right, Ken, listen, pal. Best of luck today. Say hey to Nate. If I don't talk to you until after with Tim, you'll say hey to Tim. Look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. That's Ken Benoit, founder and president of EcoTurf Consulting, and he can be found at ecoturfconsulting.com. His Connect to Protect tour can also be accessed there, where you can follow Ken's progress, his videos, and experiences. We'll be checking in again soon. The Turfgrass Hotline is brought to you by our friends at Dryject and Telegrow and the Plant Food Company, three sponsors that are committed to our progressive voice here at TurfNet and specifically from all of us on the hotline and with Frankly Speaking. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for listening.